reading in a moment. I'm hoping I'm not. Thank you very much. I'm just going to move that across to the middle. Brilliant. No, that's okay. Uh, just before we have our reading, I thought that um, as it's been quite a while since I've preached here last in this service, in fact, it might even be that the last time was after New Wine last year. So I thought I would just introduce myself for those of you who, have, who are whole new members of this congregation since then. Uh, my name is Mike Duff. Um, I work for CPAS. Uh, and uh, my day job is traveling around the country and helping to appoint new vicars for churches who are looking for them. Um, before I did that, uh, I used to be down in Southsea in Portsmouth. I was a vicar there at a place called St. Jude's, which is uh, very famous for having a new vicar who used to be your curate, Adam Tams. And my other great claim to fame at the moment is that a long, long time ago, I baptized Sam Adie, who was a member of this congregation until recently and is getting married next Saturday. So that's really exciting. This is quite a difficult passage. Thank you, Jonathan. And uh, I think it will help you if you can see the text. Now, I know that uh, Dan has worked really hard to put text up on the screen. I know it's always easier to look at the screen, but I think it's better studying if you've actually got the text in front of you. You can try a phone, but I find it really hard to kind of look around the chapter with a phone. Um, there are books beside you. Uh, if you want to use the books, page 1043 uh, in the books. If you still are using your scripture journal, I think this is an absolutely fantastic. There, there's one at the back. Fantastic. There's some around. If you had one at the beginning and you've lost it, I think you should go and find it again and bring it with you and start writing notes because this is just such a good way of studying God's Word. Okay. There's my plug. In fact, if you, if you didn't get one at the beginning, you could order one of these online because there's still a whole half of Luke's Gospel to go. There are lots at the back. Get yourself one of these. Study it that way. Okay, there we are. So we're, st we're reading from Luke 11, 14 to 28. It's page 95 in the black books and page 1043 in the turquoise ones. And Chloe is going to come and read for us. Thank you. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, is he driving out demons? Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. 
When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept, clean, and put in order. Then it goes in and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave birth and nursed you. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this scripture. We thank you for the Lord Jesus at work in the world, bringing in your kingdom and uprooting evil. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be upon us now, would fill us, that I might speak your word, that we might hear it. By your Spirit, we might understand it. And by your Spirit, we might respond from our hearts with love for you, for your glory. Amen. Brilliant. Well, when I was at St. Jude's, uh, on one occasion, uh, the office had a call from a woman who wanted us to get rid of a poltergeist, sort of thing that happens in the church office. So two of us went to share the gospel with this woman, but she wasn't the least bit interested. She just wanted a spiritual house clearance. And if we wouldn't do it, well, then she'd find somebody else who could. Casting out demons might make us think of horror films or even these days Russell Crowe as the Pope's exorcist. But it's also part of everyday ordinary ministry for the people of God in England today. If you're a teacher, you'll know that it's easier to understand the unpredictable behavior in your students when you know what's going on in the background, back at home. And if you're a medic, then obviously you'll be used to uh, seeing a body which is fine on the outside, but where you need to ask how things are going on in the inside. Well, Jesus often heals physical ailments, ailments without casting out demons. But here in verse 14, he has clearly discerned that in this case, the physical conditions also say something about what's happening on the inside. So he deals with the inner spirit, and that releases the man's ability to talk. Well, this whole passage is really a distraction from that amazing moment where Jesus acts in this man's life. And then the responses of those around kind of take Jesus off to talk about the enemy and, and, and his response to that. 
I just want to stop for a moment with this man who has been mute, who can't speak, all the frustration of that, the disability of it. And suddenly, Jesus enables him to talk, to communicate. And more than that, there's something inside him which has locked him in, made him unable to speak. And Jesus has released that. It doesn't say so, but I guess the guy was quite pleased. And I suspect that the first thing that he did with his loosened mouth was to say, thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Just let's hold this moment. For that man, for those that we know who are broken inside and cannot express what's in them for whatever reason. Who are unable to speak the praise of God and testify to Jesus' power, who don't yet have that witness or the ability to release it. If it's us, let's just sit before the Lord who opens the mouth. If it's someone we know, let's just lift them into Jesus' presence. So Jesus has seen this thing inside the man and he's got rid of it and he's released him to worship God. Actually, those who are watching on are asking the same kind of question about Jesus. What's going on in the inside for him? What's the source of his power? Is he in league with God or the devil? If we look back through these uh, 10 chapters of Luke that we've studied together, the disciples have been hearing Jesus preach God's kingdom coming near, and they've seen the signs of it at work. They're convinced that Jesus is God's own son. So when they watch Jesus, they know that what he's doing is by the power of God. There are lots of other people standing around, and they're kind of amazed by what Jesus has done. And they kind of make the easy assumption that, well, that must be God at work. And anyway, they've got lots of people they want to bring to Jesus because maybe Jesus will heal them too. But there are others there. And for them, it seems like it has to be from the devil, from Beelzebub, what Jesus is doing because they see Jesus as critical of themselves, as critical of their religion, of their, their inherited way of expressing their faith in, G in God. And because Jesus is criticizing that, then clearly he must be against God, so he must be in league with the devil. Well, like Luke's first readers, we've had the opportunity over these last, uh, what, kind of nine months or something now, to judge for ourselves. Do we recognize the signs of God's kingdom and do we acknowledge Jesus as his son? If so, then we'll have really enjoyed the Lord's Prayer last Sunday evening. 
which Jesus taught his disciples. Uh, Chapter 11, verse 2. In it we too, he invites, we too can pray to our Father, his Father and our Father. Well, you would have heard last weekend that it includes a prayer. You will know it because you know the Lord's Prayer well, I'm sure. It includes a prayer for God's kingdom to come. And in another version, the prayer ends, deliver us from evil. So God's kingdom come, deliver us from evil. So part of what it means for God's kingdom to come is for us to be delivered from evil, is for the hostile kingdom of evil and the evil one to be blocked and destroyed. And then immediately after teaching his disciples about that, in verse 2, to pray your kingdom come, then we find in verse 14 that Jesus is casting out a demon. He himself is busy active in answering the disciples' prayer, which they have just learnt to pray, which includes casting out evil, which is just what Jesus says in verse 20. If I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Well, of course, the finger of God would remind Jesus' listeners of the Egyptian magicians in the Exodus who finally confessed that God's power was greater than their magic. They said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. would also remind Jesus' listeners of the terrifying finger in Daniel, the book of Daniel, which writes the words of judgment on the wall in front of the Persian emperor. Mene, mene, tekel al parson. Numbered, weighed, and divided. Your days have been numbered, your, your leadership has been weighed in the balance and found wanting. It's going to be divided up and handed over to the Medes and the Persians. So this action of Jesus, acting by the finger of God, is both a liberation of an individual who's in bondage, like the people of Israel in bondage and released, the people of Israel in bondage in, um, in Egypt and in Persia, but it's also a sign of judgment on their oppressor, on this man's oppressor. So, if you trust that at this point here, Jesus really is working with God's power, unlike the critics in verse 15, then you'll want to know what Jesus thinks about casting out evil, and that's what the rest of the passage is about. So, here are some principles that we can glean from this conversation with Jesus. Let's look at verse 21 first. Jesus tells a story of a, a strong man in his castle. We may be tempted to think that Jesus is saying, we need to get stronger so that our house can't be broken into. And he does indeed say that in a similar parable. But that's not the point of the story here. Here Jesus is saying there already is a strong man and he occupies this world as if it were his house and as if we were his possessions. He's in control. I find it strange that people who believe in a supernatural God of love and power also seem to find it impossible to believe in a powerful supernatural enemy. Any talk of the devil immediately evokes raised eyebrows and pitying smiles. Horns and a tail, yes, yes. But Jesus clearly speaks of an identifiable source of evil 
which isn't just a metaphor for illness or for human wickedness. For Jesus, there is a strong man, and this strong man does not love his possessions. It's like he has taken us hostage. When someone takes people hostage, they don't care about the hostages, do they? They're not doing it for love, they're doing it for power. The message of the Bible is that this strong man has no right to the house and the possessions that he holds. God is our creator, God is our rightful king, and Satan is a usurper. Jesus calls him at another point the father of lies, and it's by lies that he takes control. Satan lies about what God is like, hence all the different religions in the world. He lies that we can follow any path we like to heaven. They'll all get there in the end. He lies that there is no God. His other lies include that we're the center of the universe, that we can run our own show, that we can reinvent ourselves, that what God calls sin isn't really sin. All these lies can be found in Scripture, and we also see them all in the world around us. And listening to lies like these, we open the door to the strong man, and we welcome him in. We do it as individuals, we do it as nations, we do it as the world. And also, tragically, we do it as the church. And once Satan steps inside, then he puts on his armor, he takes control of us as his spoils of war. But in verse 22, the really good news is there's a stronger man. Jesus, filled with God's spirit of holiness, breaks into Satan's house, attacks and overpowers him, disarms him, and releases the possessions that he's been holding by force. And that's what happened in the instant in verse 14. Jesus drove out the power of Satan, and that man was set free. Praise God. He was set free and he spoke. No doubt he spoke to the praise of God and of the power of Jesus. The liberation of the individual acted as a sign of judgment on the strong man who has now been overcome by the stronger man. The demon has been driven out by the finger of God and the kingdom of God has come upon those who were there. Better still, the stronger man is building a team to carry on his work. If you go back to chapter 10, um, verse 17, you'll see that Jesus, well, the beginning of chapter 10, you'll see that uh, Jesus sends out 72 disciples to cure the sick and proclaim the kingdom of God has come near to you. I'd love to preach on uh, the 72, but that was a few weeks ago. When they, when they have finished going where Jesus has sent them, proclaiming the kingdom of God and healing the sick, they return to Jesus and they're full of their war stories. So excited. Jesus, even the demons submitted to us in your name. So amazing. You should have been there. As Jesus' disciples they found that they could copy his ministry. And more importantly, 
they learnt that this only happened when they operated in Jesus' name. Various New Testament characters around the place try to drive out demons on their own, and they come a cropper. They aren't the stronger man. We aren't Jesus. When I was a student, I joined a mission team to a city in Yorkshire. It's entirely possible that your vicar was there too. There was a young girl who seemed to have a demon in her. She was shouting and going rigid, and so we all crowded around, full of enthusiasm and ignorance. Fortunately, there was a wise clergyman there, and he caught us before we too could come a cropper or do any damage. So have a care. It is only Jesus who can overcome the strong man and strip him of his armor. We can't do that on our own. Only if we're full of Jesus' Holy Spirit and speaking in his name can we act on his behalf. And in 1019, as they come back, Jesus reminds them of the reason for that. He has given them his own authority so that they can act with his power. I'm sure you know the difference between authority and power, yes? Sandy Miller, a previous vicar of HTB, used to tell a lovely story of the day a woman came into the family service with a rather dangerous-looking dog. And Sandy, if you've ever met him, is absolutely charming, smilingly came up to her and asked her if she would kindly take the dog outside because of all the children running around who might be scared by it. But she refused. So he patiently explained that if she wouldn't take him out, he would have to call a policeman. But still she refused. And so he did. And a young policeman arrived who looked as if he couldn't even have picked up the dog, let alone evicted it. But as he arrived, the woman left. Not because of this policeman's power, but because he had on a police uniform and he had with him a, um, you know, a helmet, possibly a whistle. Maybe it's, the story's old enough for that. But certainly these days a mobile phone. And on that phone he could call all the king's horses and all the king's men, as Sandy used to put it. That's what we have. Not the power to evict evil, but a hotline to the one who does. It's through our prayer that we are powerful. Jesus gives us his authority to cast out evil, and that's what gives us his power. Actually, the Anglican Church has really understood this point. It's bureaucracy, I know, can be very frustrating. Apologies to all those who have dog collars. But it does understand spiritual authority, and particularly in dangerous situations like safeguarding, and the demonic, it expects us all to refer upwards rather quickly, not just to have a go on our own. And that stops us from getting out of our depth and trying to do these things in our own strength, to make it up as we go along. Like the young policeman, we have a phone and we should use it. When I was a curate, my vicar, my training vicar, took me to visit a man who was sure that something bad was going on in his house, something very unpleasant, something supernatural. And my vicar then taught me an invaluable lesson. He said, don't assume that it's the worst possible thing that it could be and then work downwards. So don't start with, all oh, right, so you're possessed by the devil, yes? 
No. Uh, okay, so you've got some spiritual oppression. No? Oh, you've got indigestion. I see. That's going to lead you to trouble rather sooner. Instead, assume it's the least bad thing and work upwards. So more like, uh, so is it the, the plumbing system? Um, no. Is it the neighbors? No. Is it something you were dreaming? No. Um, maybe something spiritual in the house? You see what I'm saying. This way, any early mistakes are negligible. They don't really matter. And when you start to feel out of your depth, then you can always pay for, pray for peace on the situation, calm it all down, and then go and look for help. Great advice from my training vicar. I found it very helpful on many subsequent occasions. Well, so Jesus, in 1020, uh, having affirmed that they've got his authority, he quickly points out another of the devil's traps. Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Don't focus on the evil or on yourself, or you, you might get confused about who's supposed to take the credit for this. Focus instead on what I've done for you and your gratitude for that. And then when you, what you do in my name is merely passing on to others the blessing that you've enjoyed. So, when you're ministering in the Stronger Man's team, remember these things. You start inexperienced and you risk making dangerous mistakes. So learn from older, wiser ministers. Secondly, use Jesus' name. Thirdly, ask for Jesus to fill you with his spirit. Fourthly, remember you only have Jesus' power if you're acting with Jesus' authority. And finally, because this is the Anglican church, if you think you have a situation that might be demonic, let Jonathan know before you wade in. Okay. Uh, the fifth thing that I noticed from this conversation with Jesus, in verse 24, so we're back to chapter 11, verse 24, Jesus teaches his disciples another vital lesson about casting out evil. It is possible to leave the job half done, and that's worse than not having done it at all. I suspect many mothers would tell their children that as well. Don't leave the job half done, okay? If you clear out low-level badness from a place, but you don't fill it with good, then it becomes a spiritual vacuum which attracts something worse. If a person has a demon cast out of them, but isn't then filled with the Holy Spirit, it's only going to be a matter of time before other worse residents take up occupancy. And that, to my mind, is the basic problem with mindfulness. Emptying your mind of the chaos of the day feels like a blessed relief, absolutely. But if you don't then fill it with the, the Holy Spirit of peace, the peace that only the Spirit brings to guard your heart and mind, then you just create a spiritual void which unholy influences can occupy. And more specifically, it was the problem for the lady that I spoke about right at the beginning, who wanted some spiritual house cleaners. She wanted us to drive out the bad feelings, the bad influences, but she didn't want anything to do with Jesus. And she didn't want the power of the Holy Spirit to keep her house clean and safe. The thing is, you can drive evil out, but unless the person is filled with love and goodness and power and light so that that's overflowing, unless they're filled with the Holy Spirit of Jesus, then they will quickly go downhill again. 
and the final state will be even worse. So always make sure that you offer Jesus' gospel of forgiveness, salvation, and healing as part of any ministry of casting out evil. Well, that's fantastic. Final verse. Verse, uh, verse 20, you've lost it. Uh, verse, uh, verse 20, uh, still lost it. Seven, verse 28, verse 28. Verse 27 and 8, that's right. A woman in the crowd cries out, cries out a typical shout of approval. Wouldn't it just be great to be your mother? You're clearly someone who does the whole job and doesn't leave it hard, they're washing up on the draining board. No, warns Jesus, much better to be someone who hears God's word and keeps it. When God is at work, that is the only right response. Well, obviously, Jesus' comment applies to himself. He only does what he hears his father saying. That's what he demonstrates to us. It also applies to the critics who are standing around him, who haven't understood the scriptures. And it definitely applies to the individual from whom the demon was cast out. It isn't enough to be grateful in a vague kind of way to whatever is out there for making your life better. Hear what Jesus is saying and fill your heart with his spirit or you may be worse off than before. It definitely applies to the disciples who are tucking away Jesus' teaching in their hearts. They're going to need it one day. And it applies to us too. We are blessed when we hear Jesus speak and then him obey it and then obey it. And that's true if we don't yet know Jesus. And it's true if we do. Listen to Jesus, follow his call, obey his commands. It's the only way to be blessed, the only way to be truly happy. Listen and obey. Well, we've been approaching this passage in the obvious way. This passage we've been saying is about um, someone who's got a distinct um, spiritual power over their life, and that's given them some physical effects, and Jesus has come in, and he's confronted that evil, especially when it seems to be greater and more controlling than normal. And it's about how Jesus overpowers and disarms the enemy by the finger of God and liberates the one who's been oppressed. And it's about how he invites us, his disciples, to join him in his ministry and the advice that he gives us on how to do that. But there are two much bigger ways of looking at the passage which are also worth thinking about. And the finger of God reference to Exodus gives us the clue for that. The first is... As Jesus faces his critics, he's not only defending his action to bless the individual, he's also pointing out to them, to his critics, including the spiritual and political leaders of the, of the nation, that they are themselves failing to recognize that God is at work through him, through Jesus. Whenever Israel has experienced a political power vacuum in, the, in, in its history, other worse powers have moved in. And right now, in that political vacuum of the 200 years before Jesus came, the Roman occupying forces have moved in. And right now, the leaders of the nation just might love to cast out the demon of Roman occupation and their puppet, Herod. But unless they and God's people are filled with the Spirit of God, then driving out the Romans will only lead to worse oppression and destruction. 
as events were to demonstrate in 30 or 40 years to come. And that perspective should really inform our hearts as we pray for our church, our country, our nation, our leaders, a country which was once filled with worshippers of Jesus, whose politicians sought to frame its laws and values around the, the word of God. We should be praying for them, that, God, the, that Jesus, the stronger man, will once again bind up the strong man, disarm him, and chuck him out. But the reference to Exodus and the Passover is worked out even more fully by Jesus at the Last Supper. You'll remember there his body becomes the sacrificial lamb that takes our place, that dies in our behalf. Jesus' blood becomes the blood of the atonement, marking out those who will be saved. And this salvation is no longer from physical, spiritual, or political oppression. It's from sin and death itself. As St. Paul says in Colossians 2.15, Jesus will disarm the powers and authorities and make a public spectacle of them by triumphing over them on the cross. This act of Jesus, of liberating the individual from evil, in this passage now, is a foretaste of the great liberation that's to come for all of us, the good news of which we share with all those around us. For in the final resurrection, as St. Paul proclaims in 1 Corinthians 54, the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. To be honest, most of us don't get very involved in any kind of deliverance ministry and this absolutely hasn't been a training session to encourage you to have a go with your mates. Remember what I said earlier, if you think something demonic might be going on, call the St. Paul's clergy, or at the back there. But perhaps the time we get closest to this passage and the disciples' response and the, their learning with Jesus is when we go prayer walking, when we're interceding, and we start to pray against any demonic spiritual influences in an area. If so, I'd like to encourage you to remember these valuable pointers that we've learned. Try not to go it alone. Jesus sent people out two by two. Start with praise for the Lordship of Christ. It's a powerful battle cry. Ask to be filled with his Holy Spirit. Always pray in the name of Jesus and by the power of his victory on the cross. Debrief with others and finish by giving thanks that your names are written in the book of life. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory when we confront evil in this life and when we come before judgment in the next. But only through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Jesus to confront the evil one and that on the cross Jesus disarmed him and made a public spectacle of him. Thank you that he acted out that victory in the life of this man who'd been bound by a mute spirit and he released him to speak out your praise. Thank you that you love us and you can 
free us from evil and keep us free from evil if we'll put our trust in you and let your Holy Spirit fill us. Thank you that you invited your disciples, including us, to join you in your ministry and stand up against evil. May we do it in your name, by your authority and with your wisdom. Help us to remember that we have power only in prayer. But that power is very mighty. It's the power of your resurrection. And help us not to focus over much on the devil or on ourselves. But rather that our names are written in heaven by you. Amen.